Today we're continuing in this series that has been called Deep Grooves. And I know that you've been intentionally asking yourselves and considering what are the things that that form us? What are the things that shape us in the Christian life? In what ways are we being formed as followers of the risen Lord Jesus? The illustration you've been using is that of an old-time record album. I don't know how many here have actually seen one of those. I owned a bunch of them. But the illustration of an old-time record album where the needle cuts deeper and deeper grooves as it goes around, cutting them into the wax or the vinyl or, in this case, into our lives. Last week, Tag asked the question, who, who will you trust? And he challenged us to trust Jesus in the deep grooves of waiting and watching with patience when we're in the midst of circumstances that are around us that we don't completely understand. This morning, we'll be in the book of Ruth. Perhaps it is the quintessential story of trusting when there are no easy answers. It's important to keep in mind that Ruth's story comes during the time of the judges, a time that is characterized by the words, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So please turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 8 through the first part of verse 19. And we'll consider, uh, continue to consider this question, who will you trust? As I read and I know Tag has been reminding you, you of this, but watch for and consider the physical posture of those you see in the story. So again, here, Ruth 1, verses 8 through 19. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in the womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. That's continually being shaped by something. We really can't avoid it. You will be shaped. As I come before you this morning, I can't help but be shaped and formed by my experiences of the week. 
the question before us that we, that we have is, um, in God's word, practically leaps off the pages for me because of these experiences. Over the past few days, I was doing a hospital visit for a family whose little six-year-old boy was sick. It started off routine, and then the situation quickly deteriorated and became very serious. And so, within just a few hours, we were pleading for this little boy's life. And I've been shaped by it this week. My sermon today is about cultivating hope that will not abandon us in the storms of life, in the difficulties. Sadly, many of us have experienced tragedy in our lives. Many have experienced hardship. Where, where do we turn? What can we cling to when disappointment seems to overwhelm us so much that we feel it to the depths of our bones? The story of Ruth gives us a picture of trust and faithful, faithfulness and finding hope when there are really very few options available. Maybe as we uh, look at the story, you're like Naomi thinking, I thought it would turn out, I never thought it would turn out like this. I thought things would be better. It never could be this bad. In the brief preface to the story, which is so skillfully crafted, you learn that Naomi had fled her country in Judah in a time of famine. They had two sons. Now her husband and both her sons have died and she's alone. She's alone in a foreign land. And she is of an older age. Her youth is gone. It seems to be too late to start over. Who are we going to trust when the world seems, seems to be caving in on us like that? What are the grooves that will form you and hold you up in these types of times of desperation? Friends, if God really is the creator, if God really is full of steadfast love that never ceases, if God really is bringing salvation to the world, then we must cling to him when we are in these times tempted to despair and bitterness. That is when the deep grooves of biblical formation become the rock that we can cling to. And so I'll be speaking of the biblical formation that saved Naomi and the biblical faith that saved Ruth. Naomi has an emptiness about her. The story is moved along by the scarcity caused by famine, but there's another thing in play that is not immediately evident at the beginning of the story. In fact, it's more important in the story than the famine itself. The entire family line is about to be lost. Everyone has died off. In ancient Israel, this was a great tragedy. An entire family, the whole line cut off, ended. And then there is this immediate practical problem that has to be swirling through Naomi's mind. Who's going to care for her in this older age? She's been cut off from every potential societal support of the day. She 
could not return to her father's household, which would have been normal. It seems that she is now of an older age and likely her father is dead. Remarriage appears to be unlikely. She apparently did not have a craft or a trade through which she might support herself. And on top of all that, she's in a foreign land. And so it is a very bleak picture, but if you have your Bibles, you see in just a few preceding verses, in verses 6 and 7, this slimmest glimmer of hope breaking through. Naomi hears word that God is providing for his people back in her home country. The trip back home is said to require about 7 to 10 days through some pretty harsh terrain. Isn't it strange how when there's darkness all around us, the slightest hopeful thing gets very large. God offers hope to the hurting. And so that is a consistent theme in the Bible. Despite the chaos that has been introduced into God's creation through sin and through evil, from beginning to end there is a storyline that evil and darkness will not prevail. It would not prevail in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. I would like for us to try to gain some sense of Naomi's despair. It's hard to get a sense for how many years have passed since Naomi left home. The author doesn't exactly tell us that. But whatever the time frame is, the very thing she was fleeing in her hometown, which was famine, has now come to rest on the very place that she's fled to. It would be quite discouraging. Furthermore, the place that she left now is said to have some abundance. And she's of those people. That is her home. That is her place. Now, I know that most often a study of Ruth focuses, uh, the book of Ruth focuses on the person and the character for whom the book is named. And and we're going to get to that. But there's much, I think, to be learned from Naomi as well. Maybe as I'm getting a little older, I want to identify with Naomi a little bit. Surely, she was a woman of strong character. We read, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Now, moms and dads, wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of influence over your children or their spouses? Now, I I get that they don't appear to be listening to the admonition to stay, but what's really going on is that the bond is so strong and that Naomi is such a highly regarded woman that they don't want to leave her, even when... She seems to have nothing to offer. At least in her mind, she thinks she has nothing to offer. In verses 11 and following, she recounts all the things that she does not have to offer. I won't have any more sons. I won't likely gain a husband. Even God is against her. That's what she says. But you know what? There are some deep grooves in her life. In the midst of all this disappointment, 
even with all the craziness that's gone on, she is ready, she is willing to go back. And still there's another thing that we can learn from Naomi. Futility and hopelessness can bring confusion, but in the depths of despair, even in her confusion about God being against her, she acknowledges God's sovereignty. Her coming home was not just about fleeing destitution. It ends up being about Naomi coming home to God. Naomi coming home to God. Going away and going home are regular experiences for all of us. Sometimes we go away for a better job or for an education or for some new opportunity. And I know this isn't the case for everyone, but quite often we have a sense of where home is, a sense of being home. Going away and going home is a part of life. But in this case, it's different. Whatever benefit the family had hoped and hoped for in the move to Moab has evaporated. The move home is now done out of desperation. It's not a happy visit, but it's done uh, out of a sense that there is that there's hope to be found there, maybe. Even now, Naomi has a sense of who God is. Her faith is hanging by the thinnest of threads, but she's been formed by these deep, indelible truths. She's marked by the deep grooves in her life that guide her walk, even when it appears there's no path to be found. Biblical formation aligns us to these truths of God. It is the fuel that fills our sails when there's not so much as a wisp of a wind. There's a very practical need to be intentionally formed by God's word in our time. A famine of sorts is occurring. Just a few years ago, I was looking at some demographic information for the Pantops area with your pastor tag. And you know, less than 30 years ago, 37% of the people in the area identified as evangelical Christians. 20 years later, that number had dropped to 13%. One-third of what it was. And those most recent uh, stats I could get were are, are nine years old now. It's consistent with national trends. The, the group that rose from 27 to 75% over the same period is not some other religious group. It's not some other new philosophical system or philosophy. It's the rise of what they call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who don't claim any particular faith. What it means is that we, like it or not, are in a missional age. More and more we're like missionaries pulling onto the shores of some place where the truth of Christ is not known. It also means that we must be intentionally formed and informed by God's word. We have to be intentional about it. Brothers and sisters, God's word and the story of redemption is unique. The good news of Jesus Christ, it is still as outrageous as it ever was. The life he calls us to is not neatly packaged as liberal or conservative, right-wing, left-wing. Being formed by God's word will leave you at times in some very strange camps I can attest to that. It will have you bumping up against all kinds of ideologies. But friends, fear not. The God of the Bible and his word are just as relevant today as they have been in every age and every culture. 
God's word will prevail. We are given this great gift. Let it form you. Let it shape you. Let it challenge and strengthen you. The church will prevail, and you are called to be a part of it. You are, you are missionaries in this time, and you, you are purveyors of hope in a foreign land. Despite some of the high points of Naomi's character, her hardship and emptiness seem to have clouded her judgment in, uh, when she discusses why Ruth and Orpah should stay behind. And here's where Ruth's faith begins to take center stage. Orpah finally gives in. She kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clings to her. Ruth clings to her. Even so, Naomi sets up, uh, sets up this incredible ironic scene. Look at verse 15. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Do you catch what's going on there? Incredibly, Naomi, who's determined to go back to the land of her gods, suggests, actually suggests that Ruth might gain more from the gods of Moab than the gods of the God of Israel. And brothers and sisters, if I might digress for a moment, it's exchanges like this that make God's story so vibrant and so authentic. It's just a little messy in places. Things creep in that give you a whiff of real life. Naomi, who ultimately is preserved by God, questions, or at least seems to be wondering whether some other gods might do just as well. Now, I think if I was the person simply trying to write a story promoting the God of Israel, I'd probably edit out this exchange. Naomi would turn her gaze towards Bethlehem, immediately recognizing the error of her ways, and march straight away to new life, recognizing the glory and the greatness of God. That would be the Joe Magri version. But the story that we really have is far more interesting. It's far more real. Haven't we all been tempted at some time? Haven't we all had those times where we're ready to give up on God. And then here's the irony of the story. Ruth replies, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Naomi is the one returning to Israel, but Ruth, the Moabite woman, has more faith in the God of Israel than Naomi does. This would be a shocking revelation to the early readers of the story. It's, it's like seeing the inquirer when you're at the checkout line of the grocery. Now, come on, I, I know you look at it. Kind of gaze over there. What, what are they writing about this week? But anyway, it would be like a headline in the Inquirer. Moabite woman trusts God more than Israelite woman. Shocking details inside. The question for us in our missional age is, do we know a lot about God, but we fail to trust in him? Do we know a lot about him, but fail to be shaped by his ways? Are we afraid to trust his ways, or we think there are some other gods that might be as good? Ruth, for reasons that are not explained to us, has made her mind up. She clings to Naomi, and in doing so, she clings to God. Without getting into all the details, this is a consistent picture that we have of 
God, the sovereign creator God who calls people to himself, it's also consistent with the biblical story of God's redemptive work in the world and calling people to himself where the kingdom of God moves out beyond the people of Israel. Abraham is told, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so there are laws protecting the sojourner and the foreigner in the land. Continually you see people being included in, for example, Naaman, the Syrian military officer that had warred against Israel, is healed and finds faith. And here, for no other reason than God's good pleasure, Ruth turns to him. Naomi, despite her many good traits, is inclined to turn people away. The times that we're in offer challenges to the Christian life, as I've mentioned briefly. But it's also a time of great, amazing opportunity. If 75% of this area that we call Pantops knew about and trusted in the God of the Bible, we might not need Word and Table Church. If 50% of the people in Pantops were worshiping the one true God, we may not need another church. But we're far from that. We're far from that. If we're going to be effective witnesses for God's truth in our time, we'll need to be formed by his word. God is bringing salvation to the world, and we must cling to him in these times when we're tempted to despair and bitterness. Naomi finds her way through the darkness and despair because of certain convictions, certain grooves that had been etched into her life. Ruth clings to Naomi, and in doing so, she clings to God. And so, friends, the tragedy that is over the story, the tragedy of a family line being cut off is averted. Ruth later gives birth to a son, Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, the family line, the line of the Lord Jesus is preserved. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is the greater Naomi that we can cling to. He overcame the bitterness of hatred and death, and he offers you hope and life. He offers it to you now. If you'll only turn to him and humble yourself as Ruth did, your, your people will be my people and your God my God, she said. That offer remains for everyone today. And I would urge you to cling to him and be shaped and formed by God's word and life in God before, long before the storms of life come your way. The story that I started with that shaped my week turned very bitter. But you know, in the midst of it, I remarked that I felt I was for a moment in the holiest of places. It was an ordinary hospital room. But a whole room full of people that had been going about their day only hours before now turned to God and called on Christ the Lord for deliverance. That reaction, that longing, and that turning to God does not spring from nothing. It is born of deep formation that had been established long, long before the storms of life come. So let us pray. Father, thank you 
Thank you for stories like this. Thank you for your word that forms us in the reality of who Christ is. Father, I just pray for everyone here that we will indeed grasp this um, opportunity we have to be missionaries in our neighborhood, in our town, and that we would be so formed by the truth of your word that we would be able to stand and be a witness and testimony that points people to Christ the Lord. Amen.